All right, good morning to everyone, and welcome to The Well here at STSA, where we are in the finale week five of a series on anger management, where no one will be that angry here today, okay? But we are talking about not just anger the way we typically think of it. We're talking about how all of us struggle with anger in different ways, at different times, in different circumstances, but we just might express it a little bit differently. Okay, we talked about in week one how some people are exploders, but other people are imploders. Some people express it through manipulation. Some people express it through like the martyrdom and the I'm um, like the woe is me, the victim. We all have these issues with anger. And the goal here of this series is to figure out how we can fulfill the biblical mandate given to us by St. Paul, where he said, be angry and do not sin. So he didn't tell us not to get angry because that means you have to stop living on planet Earth. Because anger is something that's just one of those things. We're going to get angry. And we saw about how there's different kinds of anger. But what we need to do is figure out how to be angry and not sin. Said another way is that even if it is your fault that I'm angry, if it's your fault that I'm angry, it is my responsibility what I do with it. It may be your fault, maybe your boss, it may be everyone else's fault that you're angry, but it is our responsibility on how we respond and what we do with it. So what we talked about over the past few weeks to kind of catch you up in case you missed any of it, you can always go to our website, uh, stsa.church, and click on the well to get caught up. We talked about setting boundaries, and we talked about how we need to know very much what is our responsibility and what is not my responsibility, okay, and how to let the good in and keep the bad out. We talked about conflict resolution and a strategy about how regardless of what the situation is and how little I'm at fault, our strategy is going to be like Christ will be to take initiative is that our job as Christians, Christ followers, will be to take initiative, and we talked about what that might look like. Last week, we talked about people-pleasing, and our strategy is make God bigger, and then people get smaller. The bigger God gets, the smaller people get. So the bigger God gets, the, small, the easier it is to let go of what you did or what you did or what you did because God becomes so much bigger, people become so much smaller, and in theory, I'm able to let stuff go. That's what we covered the first four weeks of this series, but the question that I got for you today is, what if it didn't work? Like, what if after all that stuff that I just said, what if we set the good boundaries? And what if we approached conflict resolution? We took initiative, we did the steps. And what if God, number one in my eyes, people are far, far, far number two. What if we did all the right steps? We did everything right. But I still got a problem in the relationship. This person still drives me crazy. What if some people, you know there's some relationships that no matter what you do, you can do everything right, you can be kind, you can be selfless, you can do the praying, you can sacrifice, you can do everything right by the book, but there's just some relationships, you know this, some relationships that will always have problems. My question for today is, what then? Today, in other words, we're going to talk about our special friends. You know those special friends. Those who are not difficult people, but the above average difficult people. The extra grace required people, the people that you know somehow Jesus loves them, but you can't stand them. <laughs> what to do about those people? Those people, those extra special friends of ours that drive us bonkers, those people may make up 5 to 10% of our relationships. 5 to 10% of the people in our life are those extra crazy makers. Five to 10% of the people are the ones who we can't get along with no matter what. However, it feels like they consume 90 to 95% of our time and our emotional energy, doesn't it? They may be 5% of the people in the office, but they consume 90% of my emotional and investment and my mind and all those things. What do we do with those extra, extra special friends, those extra difficult people? Well, the first thing we're gonna do is let's define them. And this is not a comprehensive list by any means, but I came up with, in general, there's kind of five categories of extra difficult people. And someone may be extra difficult for you, for me, it may be easier. So we all have different people that are extra difficult. So let's just go through them real quick. Again, this is not a comprehensive list. This is just what I, what I see from my experience. I think the first kind of extra difficult person is the demander. Okay, these are the little Napoleons of life. Okay, these are the little dictators. These are people who are bossy. These people are pushy. These people are loud. These people are intimidating. And for some of you out there, you see someone like this and you can't stand this kind of person. A person who has to dominate every conversation that they're in. This is the guy who, when he was in like eighth grade, voted most likely to start a world war to be a dictator at some point in his life. 
You're sure they're good on the inside and that Jesus loves them, but for you, can't stand them, drive you crazy. Second personality type, okay, is the overly sensitive person. Okay, and some of us, we struggle with the people who get their feelings hurt like really, really easily and I was just joking and I didn't mean it and everything is always like begging them to be like, it's okay and it's okay and I didn't mean it and everything, everything is feelings hurt. Everything is sensitive. These people are very thin-skinned and they sometimes tend to whine a lot. And especially if this was a parent of yours then or someone like in your family, they use guilt to manipulate you to do what you want, right? They use guilt. In other words, okay, I get you don't have to do it. I guess you don't really love me. I guess that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, you know, and they even did it like at the dinner table, right? No, you know, like you didn't eat that. You must hate me and you hate my cooking, whatever it may be. And these are the kind of people that no matter what you do and what you do, they can, they can just get you to do whatever you want with just one word. Okay, fine. And for some of you, you can't stand the overly sensitive person. Number three is the Debbie Downer. You know the Debbie Downer, right? Every group, every social circle, every office has a Debbie Downer. Only see negatives in life. They came out the womb complaining. Like they came out telling the doctor he didn't do the right thing. Debbie Downer, you go to them and say, it's a beautiful day today. The sun is out. They say, but it may rain tomorrow. <laughs> Debbie Downer, you say, hey, our team won last week. I say, yeah, but they probably lose again next week. Debbie Downer, you have such a cute baby. Yeah, but I got such an ugly husband, so. <laughs> these are people who take the joy out of, these are the people who enjoy telling kids there is no Santa Claus and believe it's a heretical teaching based on lies, okay? These are those kind of people. Some of us can't stand them. Fourth category is the nitpickers. Those nitpickers who like to criticize. And nitpickers, you know it's a nitpicker when they never, ever, ever made a mistake in life. Yet somehow they are very skilled in seeing your mistakes. A nitpicker doesn't see variations or options. They just see their way and their way is the right way. Nitpickers are probably active on Facebook and Twitter very much so. The last category, okay, is the loudmouth. Which looks like there's, looks like there's no picture of the loudmouth. I don't know, I guess our... our Someone puts these PowerPoints together with the picture. It's okay. They skipped a lot. That's okay. I'll just talk about the loudmouths. Sorry about that. The loudmouths are the megaphones of life. Okay. The loudmouths are the ones who, if you've ever been in an argument with a loudmouth, you know that you regretted it and you said to yourself, never again. Because any argument, no matter what it is, they end up winning. Not because they convince you, but just because they're going to keep on talking, keep on talking. So eventually you say, I surrender, you win. Everyone hates a loudmouth in life. Man, my creative team is, is not working with me here today. <laughs> we all hate a loud mouth. <laughs> these people, okay, these people, these special people. Well, we got to get off the screen here. Let's go to our first slide. Whatever, I'm going to go to this verse even if it's not on the, okay. These people require a special, special strategy because they are special, special people. And what the scripture tells us, King Solomon right here, Proverbs 16, verse 7, it says that even though the problem with these may be these people, the problem may be external, the solution is internal. Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So you know what? I can't change the loudmouth. I can't change the overly sensitive. I can't change the nitpicker. I can't change them. But I need to realize that even though the problem is out there with them, the solution is in here with me. That's what we looked at every week in this series is they're the problem, but I'm the solution. I got to take responsibility and I got to figure out a way to live at peace. And what the scripture says is that when my ways are pleasing to God, honoring to God, he finds a way to let me live in peace, even though people are difficult. So how to deal with the special friends. I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate, and if you get this story, then you understand everything about safe for the rest of this day. Story is a true story that took place here in this church probably a couple years ago. A couple years back, there was a, it was when the World Cup final was on a Sunday morning. Okay, I remember it very vividly. And what we did is we had the liturgy that morning, and then we uh, didn't have the well. We watched the, the game up here on the, on the screens. 
Okay, so it was a Sunday. It was a very relaxed Sunday. I think it was in July or something like that. Church is a little bit emptier in July. Having a good time. And I'm sitting back there and I'm hanging out. And, you know, we're having a good time. And then the game started to get kind of serious. So a lot of the socializing kind of died down and people were more focused on the game. And there were these two brothers. And I'm guessing the age, let's say age eight and six or something like that, somewhere approximately, maybe seven and five. There were these two brothers. And the older brother wanted to watch the game. The older brother's getting into the game, and he's sitting there with a couple of his friends, and he's watching the game. He's eating his hot dog or whatever he's doing, and he's watching the game. Younger brother, five, six years old, comes to him, and he's like, hey, let's play, because he didn't want to watch the game. The older brother says, no. Younger brother comes and says, hey, let's play. The older brother says, no. And then he says, hey, let's play, let's play. I'll play whatever you want to play. Older brother says, no, leave me alone. The younger brother cocks his fist. I'm telling you, if I didn't see it right in my own eyes, cocks his fist and goes straight to that older brother right below the belt. Boom! (laughs) Right below the belt, right below the belt, right where he knew it would hurt more than he, boom! (laughs) What do you think the older brother did? Started chasing the kid, and the kid started running, and the younger brother was like, wee, 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 and the younger brother was in heaven. And all the younger siblings in the room totally get what I'm saying. They get the story. Because as a younger sibling, you want attention and you want someone to play with you. And if you won't play when I ask you this way, then maybe you'll play when I ask you this way. And that's what that younger brother did. Let me ask you a question. Based on that story, why do you think there's some people in life who are extra critical? Why do you think there's some people in life who are extra negative? who are extra difficult? Why do you think there's some people who just make life difficult to everyone around them? Why do you think that is? You think they were born that way? Do you think they like being that way? Well, I have this theory in life, and the theory in life is this, is that every single one of us wants to be approved. Everyone wants to matter. Everyone wants their voice to have meaning. But here's what happens, is when I don't find approval, I quickly substitute attention. If I don't find the approval that I'm seeking, I'll just go for attention. This is the classic case of the kid in middle school or high school who all of a sudden feels like they're left out. All of a sudden feels like they don't fit. So then they have to, they're looking for approval, can't get it, so let's go for attention. Then the hair becomes crazy. Then the clothes become crazy. Then the makeup becomes crazy. Then they start to act out. Why? Because I don't feel approved, so I need to get something. So let me just get attention. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Well, I'm telling you, there's some adults. There's some adults in high, high, high positions in life, very successful, but who are no different than that teenager who's dressing different just to get attention. This is the boss who criticizes for no other reason other than to remind you and everyone listening that I'm the boss and my word goes, even if you did everything right, but I need everyone around here to know it's my word that goes, not yours. This is the kid who disobeys even when it's to their own detriment. Parents, you get this one, you've seen this. The kid who disobeys even to their own detriment because any kind of attention is better than being ignored. This is the spouse or the parent who says the most hurtful, hurtful, hurtful comment. And they know it's hurtful, but they themselves are hurt and this is the way they deal with it. What do we do like we've done for the past few weeks? I wanna talk one big idea, okay, one mindset, one strategy. What do we do with those extra difficult people? We all got them. What do we do? We want one big idea and then we want four practical steps. One big idea to guide our mindset, our attitude. If you get this, then the steps make total sense. One big idea, what to do when that person is just pushing my buttons, pushing my buttons, pushing my buttons. The answer is, the one big idea, I will not play the game. Do not play the game. How do I approach the critical? Don't play the game. How do I approach the sensitive? Don't play the game. How do I approach the loudmouth, the nitpicker? How do I approach those people, the Debbie Downer? Refuse to play the game. Because just like the story I told you of the kid with a punch below the belt, all he wanted, victory for him, 
was getting the other guy to engage in any kind of, any reaction, and hopefully an emotional reaction. Don't engage. Don't fire back. Don't go tit for tat. Don't respond, especially if it's online. Please don't respond. Put down the cell phone. Put down the text message. Don't fire back. Don't go, subtle comment here. Okay, subtle comment here. Okay, he put this in front of my boss. Okay, I'm put this in front of the boss. Passive aggressive there, passive aggressive there. That's victory for the other guy. They don't care about winning and losing. They just want to play the game. Well, do you know how the game ends? When I say, I'm not playing. As soon as I say, I'm not, because it takes two to play the game. So just say, I'm not playing this game anymore. The game is over. I have therefore won. Do not allow them to sucker you into their game. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16 says, fools show their annoyance at once. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent or the wise overlook an insult. Who was the master at this? Jesus. Jesus was the master at not getting suckered into the game. There were these group of guys called the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders during the time of Jesus. And they didn't want to listen to him. They didn't want to actually hear what he had to say. They just wanted to trip him up and trap him in his own words. They wanted to play a game. And Jesus was the master of, uh uh uh, uh. I'm not stooping to your level. I'm not going to get suckered into whatever it is that you're trying to engage me into. One time in Mark chapter 11, they came to him and they said, Jesus, tell us. The authority that you have, you do all these miracles, you preach all these sermons, you do all these great things, and you say that you're someone special. Where's your authority from? Is it from heaven or is it from earth? And they were doing that to trip him up. Because if you say it's from heaven, blasphemer. But if you say it's from earth, then you say, okay, then you're a nobody. You're just like everybody else. You're just some, some traveling salesman. They try to trip him up. Jesus responded to them how? Look at the story here in Mark chapter 11, verse 27. Then they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you about what authority to do these things. Like the only thing missing from Jesus' sentence is nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Like that's the only thing missing. <laughs> but Jesus said, look, I'm not playing the game. I realize you're not really listening to what I'm having to say. You're not trying to understand who I am. You're just trying to get me engaged in, in, in this back and forth. You're trying to trip me up. I'm not playing your game. I know your mind is already made up before you even ask me the question. What's the point of playing the game? Here's a quote in your handout from a guy named Thomas Paine who once said, to argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead. It's a great quote. To argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like giving medicine to a dead person. You give it all day, all night, and you're going to make a difference. And Jesus knew that about these people. So here's our first like aha moment of today. Our first aha moment of dealing with difficult people. You have someone in your mind. I put up the four, I put up the five pictures up there, but you should only pay attention to the first four. But let's say, okay, you have one of those people in your mind, difficult people in your life. Someone extra grace required. Someone drives me bonkers no matter what I do. No matter everything I try, drives me crazy. First thing you got to realize, first your aha moment, is there are some people in life who no matter what you do will never like you. Some people, no matter what you do, will never like you, will never accept you, will never accept you as part of my family, never accept you as part of the family, no matter what you do, how much you try to impress them, how much you try to get their approval, never accept you. Never accept or believe that you bring value to the team. They see you as a threat. So you know what? You may try and try and try. Some people will never see the world as you see it. They just never will. They'll never have the same worldview that you have. Some people will never appreciate the way you view life. Some people will never get past what happened 15 years ago. 
And that may mean what you did to them 15 years ago, or that may mean what somebody else did to them 15 years ago, and you're suffering the consequences of it today. Some people will never like you in life. Now, with that said, we don't start off a conflict with they'll never like me in life. Like this is where we end after trying and trying and trying and trying after we did everything the past four weeks. Like I wouldn't have started this series with some people who just don't like you. So you know what? Just good luck. No, no, no. We end at that point. We don't start at that point. But if we're honest, there's some people, they've already made up their mind about you. Nothing you say will change it. Back to Jesus. What did Jesus do to annoy the Pharisees so much? Why did they hate him so much? Did he steal from them? Did he bash them? Was he lies? Was he gossip? Nothing. The Bible said Jesus went about doing good. But they made up their minds. I don't like this person. I believe he's a threat to our, our nation and our, and our religion. And I'm telling you, all the logic in the world cannot convince somebody to like you when they choose not to like you. Because you can't, this is some of us struggle. We think we can logic someone, we can reason someone into why they shouldn't hate me. Well, here's the problem, is the Pharisees didn't logic themselves into hating Jesus, so therefore you cannot logic them out of hating Jesus. If someone came to their conclusion based not on facts and logic and reason, then all the reason, all the logic in the world cannot change it because that's not how they got to that conclusion in the first place. And there's some people out there, they just don't like you. And they made up their mind. And what we're going to do, or we're not going to do, is we're not going to play the game. We're not going to engage. We're not going to fire back. We're going to be above the game. First Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. In other words, don't play the game. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Why? Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Here's what we're gonna do for the rest of the time that we have here together. I wanna go through four challenges, four challenges, but I don't wanna say challenges. I wanna say four commitments, four commitments that we are going to make together to not play the game. Four commitments because to this, you recall that you may inherit a blessing. Four commitments that I promise you, if you can do these four, some of us, our stress level, if we can do these four, you will see a dramatic drop in your level of stress if you are able to do this. You will see a dramatic increase in your ability to pray and able to have good relationships with other people in the office or other people in the home. If you can do these four things, I promise you, your life will be blessed because we agreed in week one that success in life is success in relationships because life is all about relationships. So these four things, to this you are called that you may inherit a blessing. Before I say the four things, I'm going to do something that I don't usually do, but I want you to do today. I want you, I want everyone to take notes on what I'm going to say. And the reason why I want you to take notes, because I read a horrible, horrible, horrible statistic this past week, and it breaks, you want to break the heart of any preacher man. It says that 95% of what you hear, you forget within 48 hours. 95%. So all the work that I do and all this stuff and all this stuff, but I'm preaching my heart out on Sunday by Tuesday afternoon, late afternoon coffee, you've forgotten 95% of what I said. Unless you do one of two things. You write it down, or even better, you teach it. So I'll make you do both. Even write it in your phone. Okay, we have the STSA app where you can take notes. Write down these four things. Don't write down anything I say for the rest of my life. Okay, don't write down what any of the other people up here preach, but write down what I'm saying today. Because I think it's that important. I think it's going to come a point in time where I want you, believe me, this is going to come a point in time where you're going to need to come back on this. Write down what I'm saying, and I'm going to make you say it out loud as well. We're going to have some fun with it. But if we do it, I'm telling you, you'll see a blessing in your life. Number one, not playing the game. Number one, refuse to be offended. Say that with me. Say, refuse to be offended. Refuse to be offended. Say it again. No matter what someone says, no matter what someone does, no matter how insulting, no matter how critical, no matter how obnoxious, no matter how belittling, no matter how rude, life is too short to be offended by everything someone does to me. Life is too short. Someone cut me off. So be it, it's not the end of the world. Someone was rude to me. Someone posted online about me. Someone said to the boss about me. Someone disrespected me. All those things are true. True maturity in life. True maturity in life. Agree with me is knowing what matters and knowing that a friend forgetting your birthday, that a, co a coworker being disrespectful to you, that someone saying a lie about you or someone cutting me off, 
Refuse to be offended. Maturity knows what matters and what's going to matter five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and what doesn't matter. Proverbs 19, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Look, if you want to be offended, if you want to be offended, go ahead and be offended, but be offended about the right things. Don't be offended by silly things where people say stuff about you. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Don't be offended by that stuff. You want me to tell you what's offensive? Sex trafficking is offensive. Be offended by that. Be very offended by that. Child abuse is offensive. Be very offended by child abuse. Be offended when kids are in the street and they're hungry. Because that's offensive to me. Be offended with racism. That's offensive. Be offended when somebody hurts a child, whether that child is in middle school, whether that child is in elementary school, or whether that child's still in the womb and hadn't been born yet. Be offended when someone hurts someone else. But don't be offended because someone said a nasty word to you. That was who Jesus was. Jesus had thick skin and a tender heart. And I'm worried we do the opposite. We need to have thicker skin. We need to have rain slickers of skin. You know what a rain slicker is, those yellow raincoats? What happens when the rain hits the, the rain slicker? Just, why well, it's called slicker. Just slicks right off. That's what we need to be. Someone, someone uh, you uh, aren't, uh, okay, rain slicker. Okay, oh, rain slicker. Okay, let the people say and let the people do. I refuse to be offended. I need a, not tender skin. I need thick skin and a tender heart to be offended at the right things, things that matter. That was Jesus. Jesus knew that anyone who was acting offensive is because they themselves were probably offended. We talked about this in week one or week two. I can't remember. We said, hurt people. Finish the sentence for me. Hurt people. Hurt people. You think there's anyone out there who says, you know what? I want to be as rude as possible. I would like to be the rudest person in the office. You think there's anyone out there who says, I want to be known as the critical guy. You think anyone says, when I grow up, my goal one day is to be an internet troll. That's my goal in life, to be a troll. You think anyone says that? People end up in those positions because they themselves were hurt, were criticized, were judged. Learn to make excuses for people. You'll be a happier person in life. Learn to say things like, you know what? I bet you my boss acted that way. You know what? Maybe he had a, a fight with his wife this morning. You know what? I remember that one morning I had a fight with my wife. I was a little off in the head as well. Give him a break. Learn to say, you know what? That this person may have had a rough day. Maybe they, they found out that their kid, I know that their kid was sick last week and maybe that sickness never got resolved. So you know what? Give him a pass. Learn to make excuses for people. The truth is, the truth is, the people that bug you the most I bet you is the people that you know the least. Because the more you get to know someone, the more you hear their story, the harder it is to judge them because you realize that everyone's got issues that they're dealing with. I didn't know that person was abused when they were a child. I give them a pass. I didn't know that that person lost their job. I give them a pass. I didn't know that person, her husband, tears her down daily. And their husband makes her feel like she makes her live in fear daily. I didn't know that poor man, that his wife stands in front of the TV in the ninth inning in a tie ball game when the Nationals are about to go to the NLCS. I didn't know that someone had those kind of circumstances. Of course you give that person a pass. Learn to make excuses for people. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. If we're called to love, what love is at its root is seeing your blemish and covering it. Love is seeing, you know what? This person's in a bad mood today. So you know what? I'm going to cover them. I'm not going to expose them. Hey, everybody. And you need to apologize. What true love is like, okay, you know what? That's okay. It's okay. We'll cover it over here. Isn't that what Jesus did with every single person that he met? First step of not playing the game is refuse to be offended. Say refuse to be offended. Second thing, I refuse to wait for an apology. Say it with me. I refuse to wait for an apology. There are some people, some people who are sitting here today that if you want to know how to reduce your stress and anxiety in life, this one could be a game changer for you because there are some people who are sitting here today who are waiting, who are not sleeping at night, who have no peace, who can't pray, who just stew because someone they're waiting for an apology. And I'm telling you, it may never come. Some people will never say sorry. Some people not only will never say sorry, 
will never even realize that they should say sorry. Some people will never realize they hurt you. And if you don't believe me, I will not ask for a show of hands. But if you believe it so much, I will ask for a show of hands. There are some of us, every single person sitting here, hasn't there been a time where we offended somebody else and we didn't know about it? Hasn't there been some time where we stepped on someone's toes or we made a comment or we did something we didn't know? So I'm gonna give that person who I'm waiting, it's been since 1983, he needs to apologize or I'm never gonna let it go. He's not gonna apologize. She's not gonna apologize. That's just how God made them. They don't see that they did wrong. I'm gonna give them a pass. No, they saw that they did wrong. No, they meant it. Go back to number one, refuse to be offended. I'm not gonna wait for an apology. I'm gonna move on in life. I'm gonna answer this question or I'm gonna ask you this question. Those who are waiting for an apology. How long do you plan to wait? Like, give me a deadline. How long do you plan not to hurt this other person, but to hurt yourself? You're keeping yourself in a prison. So I'm asking you, you've locked yourself in this prison. Say, the only way I get out of this prison is if he or she apologized to me. Okay, how long do you plan to stay in that prison? How long do you plan to torture yourself? Colossians 3.13 says that we should be bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So the key word there is even as Christ. He's the model. Well, how did Christ forgive me? Did Christ wait for me to apologize? Did Christ wait for me to even realize? Or was Christ proactive? Did Christ forgive before we apologize, before we even recognize that we need it? So am I saying, I don't want to go too much into forgiveness because I talk a lot about forgiveness. I don't want to delve too much into it. But just, am I saying that we are just to, okay, forget about what anyone does to me? We're a doormat. People can treat me however they want. And I'm just, you know, supposed to be abused and you just uh, forgive, 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 forgive. No, listen, there's a difference between forgive and trust. Forgive and trust. Forgive is instantaneous. Trust takes time. Forgive I take the initiative. You do nothing. I forgive you. Trust, you must take the initiative to earn back that trust. So I'm not saying to trust and I'm not saying to go back into the relationship and I'm not just saying that someone stole from you and stole from you and stole from you so you lend them another hundred bucks. No, that's, that's not, has nothing to do with forgive. Forgive means that I let it go. I'm not gonna put myself in prison. But I need to be, as Jesus said, wise as serpents, harmless as dove, but wise as serpents. And wise as serpents say, you know what? I cannot continue this friendship anymore. I forgive you. I've let it go. But I cannot continue this friendship anymore. Why the serpents means that I say, you know what? I have let it go. What you did to me or what, what happened, I let it go. But I pray for you every day that you get a job in Alaska. I pray every day for you to get a job in Alaska. <laughs> Absolutely, why not? Sometimes it's the most godly thing you do is pray for someone to move to Alaska, okay? First commitment we make, I can't remember, I got a bad memory, but since you wrote it down, you remember the first thing, we're not gonna play the game. We refuse to be? Offended. Refuse to be offended. Second thing, we refuse to? Wait for an apology. Not refuse to apologize, okay? We refuse to wait for an apology. Okay, we should be quick to apologize, okay? But you're going to the like, straight, okay, that's fine. Refuse to wait for an apology. Number three, I will refuse to speak evil. Say it with me, say, I refuse to speak evil. Call it what you want. Call it gossip. Call it bad mouth. Call it slandering. Call it lying. Whatever you call it. I refuse to let out of my mouth bad stuff come about you. Somebody hurts us. Even though it doesn't hurt them back, it feels good when we talk bad about them, doesn't it? It feels good to tell you, oh, you don't know what he did. You don't know what he did. Oh, you don't know what she did, what she said. It feels good. They don't even know. Because in front of them, you know, you know what I mean? In front of them is fine. But it feels good for me to tell you what she did. Why is that? Because all of us want validation. That they're bad. They're wrong, I'm right. They're crazy, I'm normal. We had this conflict, and I want to convince you. You're the jury. And I want you to tell me, oh, Father Anthony, oh, you're a great man. You're a victim. Oh, God, God bless you. You deal with horrible people like this. Horrible monsters and children and horrible monster and spouse. Oh, you must be a great man of God. And I say, oh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't like to. But I refuse to speak evil because bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, is that is the exact opposite of what we are called to do. Scripture says this, James chapter four, verse 11 and 12. James says, do not speak evil of one another. That's as blunt as you can be. Like, there's no interpretation. Don't give me a commentary on James 4, 11. 
Do not speak evil of one another. Brethren, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But look here. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Basically saying this. He's saying when you say she's wrong or he's bad or he did or she did, you're putting yourself in the judge's role. There's only one judge in the courtroom. Only one judge on this planet, and that's God. And God will judge. God will judge. It's not our job. I'm a witness at best. But don't sit in God's chair. Imagine the judge goes out to a break. You've ever been in a courtroom, okay? You've seen the, at least watch the people's court or whatever, maybe. Only the judge sits in that chair. Imagine the judge goes out, step out to go to the bathroom, and comes back in, and there you are sitting on the chair. You know what I mean? Like doing twirlies. You know what I mean? No. Well, some of us are doing twirlies on God's chair by speaking evil of one another. Now, I don't want to move on to the next point until I just address one thing. What about venting? Okay, I hear this one. What about venting? Okay, don't we need to vent? And isn't it better with the, isn't it better to let off a little steam versus the kettle to boil over? Okay, I guess. Like, I don't want to say that there's a time and place for venting, but if you're asking me honestly, I think the majority, and I'm going to go up to 75% of what we do in the name of venting is really gossip and slander. Like we call it venting to make ourselves feel good. And again, there is a time and place because sometimes we do need to get stuff out. But the majority of what we call it is really just bad-mouthing another person to make myself feel better. And it, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's bad as much as it's counterproductive. Like telling your girlfriend about your lazy husband, does that all of a sudden motivate him to be not lazy? Telling the world about how idiot your boss is, does that all of a sudden make him very intelligent in the world? Like, it's not productive. And I'll argue that it's counterproductive. You know why? Because I believe, as you probably have experienced, the more you say something, the more you believe it. So if I go around saying, I got the best wife in the whole wide world, but I'm just using it. If I go around saying, oh, my wife is horrible. Oh, my wife is horrible. Oh, I don't even like saying, let's flip it. Let's do it in a positive way. If I walk around and say, I got the best wife in the world. I got the best wife in the world. Like, I feel better. Like, look at me. I feel better. Like, you know, yeah, that's right, you know, because we naturally want to validate what we say. So this is something that you can do to kind of, I want to say trick yourself, but the more you say negative, the more you will believe it. You all know someone who said a lie. Maybe you've been that person who has said a lie and said it so often that eventually they believe it. We become that way. If you tell everyone about how horrible situations, it's just a matter of time before you believe it. And I believe you can do the exact opposite as well. That's why St. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Ask yourself about the stuff you say, imparting grace or no? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Okay, my memory's going bad right here. I'm getting up in age. Remind me again, we're not gonna play the game. The first thing we said is, I refuse to be? I refuse to be offended. Number two, I refuse to? Wait for an apology. Number three, I refuse to speak evil. And then the last one, this may be the hardest one. I refuse to have an enemy. I refuse to have an enemy. It's going to be the hardest one. I refuse. I refuse that no matter what you say about me, I will not call you my enemy. I can't control what people say about me. You can't control what people say about you, but you can absolutely control what you say about them. And they may say, this person is my enemy. And like I said, that boy with the, they want you to engage. They want to elicit. I will not give anyone, I will not say about anyone that they are my enemy. First Peter chapter two, verse 21. It says, for, again, to this you were called, showing us our calling as, as Jesus followers. To this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, meaning he was innocent. So whatever people accused him, they were wrong, he was right. But look, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Can I give you a piece of advice? Can I tell you something when it comes to the enemies? Okay, the people you say, this is my enemy, this is my enemy, this is my enemy. 
Our goal in life is not to win. Our goal in life is not to be right. Our goal in life is to be Christ. And sometimes, to be Christ, you got to take one. And you got to let someone hate you. But you cannot, cannot allow yourself to hate them back. You cannot allow yourself to say, that person is my enemy. You know, as I, some of you are probably aware, like, this is real. This isn't just words on a piece of paper. This is real. Because for me, there are a lot of people out there who don't like me. Okay, and there's a lot of people who do criticize me. And we were at a gathering a couple nights ago, okay, and, and like the subject came up and someone said, you know, something. And I was like, yeah, you know, there's people online who say stuff about me. And someone was like, wasn't that like five, six years ago? I'm like, yeah, it's actually kind of continued since then. So, you know, wasn't that? Yeah. So, yeah, and probably five years from now, I'll be like, yeah, I mean, any time that you, like, there's always going to be people who just don't like you. There's always going to be people who criticize. There's always going to be people. And, and you know what? Anyone who wants to do anything for the kingdom of God, like, we expect it. We expect that if we're trying to get our life in order, we expect that, you know, there's going to be people who are not necessarily like that. We expect it. But here's what I've always said is my goal. I always said is my goal. And you can record this. And you can come back to me five years from now when I say, don't no criticize me. You're going to say, hear me say the same thing. That what you say about me does not impact what I say about you. That's my goal. Because that was Jesus. And that what you think about me, I will not allow that to impact what I think about you. So you may look at me, you may say about me, you may do to me, but I will not let you control my response to you, what I say about you or do to you or think about you. Because that is who Jesus was. That no matter what they said about him, it never changed what he thought about them. And that's a choice no one can take away from you. So I'm done this series four commitments that we talked about here today. I can't remember what they are. Again, forgive me. Number one, I will refuse to be offended. Number two, I refuse to wait for an apology. Number three, I refuse to speak evil. And number four, most important, I refuse to have an, have an enemy. How about you? Do you agree with those commitments? You willing to hold on to those as well? Are you willing to say, you know what? I'll let people, I'm not going to let it offend me. I'm not going to speak evil. I'm not going to wait for that apology. I'm not going to let you get in my head. I will choose to love you even if you hate me. I will choose to be kind to you if you're unkind to me. I will choose to not speak evil of you no matter what you say about me. Because I have a higher calling than to win this argument. I have a higher calling than to be right in this discussion. My calling is to be Christ. I want to show you a passage from Romans chapter 12. And in this passage, okay, we're going to see four or five verses right here. We've looked at some of them before. It starts off with talking about bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. But before we continue the rest of the passage, I want to change that word persecute. Because I say persecute and you think, well, okay, yeah, these are the people who kill the Christians. Okay, none of us, are, our lives are being threatened by people killing Christians. But let's change the word persecute. Let's change that word to irritates. The person who not persecutes you, but irritates you annoys you, offends you, criticizes you, belittles you, disrespects you. Let's read this passage with those kinds of words in mind. Bless those who, like I said, who criticize you, annoy you, who belittle you. Bless them and do not curse because true love, real Christ-like love is not to be kind to people who are kind to me. True Christ-like love is to love those who are unlovable and those who are not worthy of love and done nothing to earn my love. That's what true love is all about. You look at what Christ did. They talked bad about him. They spit on him. They accused him. They did, they did, they did, they did, they did. And he loved them. So bless those who annoy you. Bless those who criticize you. Bless those who irritate you. Bless those who talk too much. Bless those who talk too little. Bless those who are overly sensitive. Bless them and do not curse them. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one criticism for criticism. Repay no one slander for slander. Repay no one unforgiveness for unforgiveness. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It may not be possible to live peaceably with some men, 
But when we get up to heaven, if you and I had a conflict, and we get up there and God's like, huh, what happened? Then I'm gonna say, I did everything in my power to make peace. And if we didn't have peace, that's gonna be on you. It's not gonna be on me. That's my goal, that I did everything in my power. As much as depends on me, live peaceably with all men. Because the last verse, verse 21, summarizes it so well. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One day we will all stand before the master. One day all of us will stand before the master. All this stuff will go away. We will stand before God. He will ask us very simply. He will measure all of us. All of us will be measured by the tape measure. And the tape measure will be love. That's the tape measure. Did you love? Did you love? And as soon as we're going to start to say, like he's going to say, did you love? And we're going to cut him off. And we're going to say, well, what this person did, you don't know what they said about me. And you should have seen what this person posted. And this person stabbed me in the back. And this person, and this person, this person. And he's going to say, you didn't let me finish my sentence. Did you love as I have loved you? Well, did they slander you? Well, did they badmouth you? Did they betray you? You know what? I came to the conclusion in life. Try it. Follow me here on this one. This is super important. If I struggle to love anybody in this world, that's a deficiency on my part, not theirs. Because I was commanded to love as Christ loves. You ask yourself about that horrible person, that enemy in your eyes. Does Christ love them? Does Christ love me? Yes. And therefore, if I don't, I am falling short somehow. If I cannot love anyone on this planet, that says more about me than it says about them. So, here's our four commitments. I'm refused to be offended. In case anyone didn't write it down, there's your chance. I'm refused to be offended. I'm refused to wait for an apology. I'm refused to speak evil. And I'm refused to have an enemy. I want to invite our music team to come back here for up here on stage, and we're going to finish this series by put it in front of God, okay? And what I want to say as we sing this song and conclude in prayers, I want to say it's time for us to stop calling ourselves Christians if we're not willing to follow what Christ did. Being a Christian means being a follower of Christ. And we cannot stand here in front of God and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Then he says, okay, well, this is what I did. And we say, no, I refuse. It's time for us to start acting like followers of Christ, disciples. And the number one way you do that, the number one way that Christ distinguished who he was versus everyone else on this planet was the way he treated difficult, annoying, critical, irritating people who didn't deserve it. Let's stand together. What could stop the rain? 